the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Big problems in the world right now um, is that you've got increasing debt by basically every government. Don't assume every government, but assume close to every government. You have constrained spending by countries. Uh, there's just not a lot of demand is what it comes down to. Or maybe we're saving more like we are in the United States. And maybe some of the maxims of the past, like, hey, we live paycheck to paycheck. Maybe we're starting to put some money aside. Those are some of the the bigger issues that face the world right now. And the Federal Reserves and the monetary policies of other foreign governments uh, have basically said, let's lower the cost of money and encourage more debt. And here's the problem. Our overarching theme that's a problem in the world is we've got too much debt and we're taking on more debt. So how are we solving the fact that we can't get aggregate demand higher? We're making money cheaper. And by making money cheaper, we're encouraging more borrowing. And the aggregate demand, i.e. spending, you and me going out and shopping, isn't supporting enough tax revenue, isn't supporting enough economic activity to pay down those debts worldwide. And if you take a look at President Barack Obama's recent budget proposal, it's just, it's a lot more debt. Um, so do you see the problem? What we need really and honestly and truly is our governments to start coming up with figuring out how we're spending our money and can we spend it better. I'm not saying that we need to cut out aid to the poor. Maybe we need to look at aid to research on the Mongolian monkeys. I don't know. Is there aid to research on Mongolian monkeys? Maybe we need to start changing some things like when do you get Social Security? When do you get your income in retirement? How much do you pay for Medicare, Medicaid, Medi-Cal? If they're running out of money, shouldn't those be self-supporting systems? Shouldn't we be raising rates sooner rather than later? For better or for worse? Hey, 
I'll pull out the socialist hat all of a sudden. We could say that, you know, I'm wealthy, and when I retire, I can pay for my own health care. But don't tax me while I'm, I'm working then. Uh, and don't tax me and say, oh, by the way, we're going to take money out of your, um, your checking account for your Medicare costs when you retire. We can fix the problem. We just have to figure out who pays how much and what's right and what's wrong. And then you get into these social arguments of, well, I worked hard and I made a lot more money, so why am I covering the, the health care costs of someone who, you know, did a lot of crack cocaine? And you get into, like, anger and issues. And I think that's reflective in last night's, uh, you know, in the, in the whole political process. Whether it's, you know, uh, the primaries or the caucuses or who's running for president in 2016, you can clearly see people are upset. The establishment isn't quite right, and we know that. So you're seeing, you know, anti-establishment characters, you know, come to the front for the first time. Not for the first time ever. Ross Perot did it. Um, before Ross Perot, there had to be others, right? And sometimes, you know, libertarians would run, and they never really got much traction. But I don't know. <clears throat> it's interesting, to say the least, of, like, when you take a look at a Trump and a Sanders, what are they saying? To me, what they're saying is, like... It's potentially a really great thing, because I don't think either one of them would make good presidents. But they would force Congress to do what presidents haven't been able to do, because it would force Congress to work together to get anything to get anything done other than a thermal global nuclear war. Um, it would be fascinating to watch, to say the least. Um, I'm excited. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Wealthy borrowers are behind a 9.3% jump in new mortgages. That's one of the stories that's out there. A sharp drop in interest rates prompted more homeowners to refinance their mortgages. What does this tell us? Well, first and foremost... The economic dilemma that the United States is in right now is probably better than the economic dilemma that we've been in in the last 20 years. Because the Federal Reserve did lower costs, it did allow us to refinance some of our debt at lower interest rates. I like seeing that people are borrowing money, and I like seeing a 9.3% jump in mortgage rates. It's telling me people are locking in mortgages for 30 years at really low, low levels. 3.91% 3.91% on a 30-year mortgage? Whoa. Servicing that debt will be a lot easier than servicing debt at 4.5% or 5% or 5.5% or 6%. Now, again, I already started this argument by saying, you know, the worldwide problem is heavily tied towards borrowing money. That's a problem because I just said we're borrowing more money. I've borrowed money on a home that if I break even over the next 30 years, I'll be thrilled. In large part, I'm paying myself more rent. Okay, check. In large part, it's tax efficient. It's tax deductible off my income. There's a lot of positives there. Lower rates have the most profound effect on borrowers with larger loans. Um, so I feel good about stories along those lines of people are actually borrowing money. With me, I'm not expecting... I've got a million-dollar house. It's now worth a million and a half. For someone to afford that, just the million dollars, you need a $400,000 income. So throw on the extra half, you're talking about a $600,000 income, unless you have massive amounts of money to put down. 
And that's when you start underperforming because the money that you put into your house and pay off, it loses to inflation. If inflation was 2.2% last year, then that $100 could only purchase, you know, 97.8% of what it could the year before. So you lose income. You lose the ability to uh, earn income on money, but you also, when money's inside of the house, you lose the ability to uh, fight inflation. You lose to inflation, quite frankly. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about it, we can talk about. Uh, it could be money. It could be investing. It could be the price of oil. And, you know, oil is about 7% of the S&P 500. So when oil prices drop and oil profits drop, it drops the S&P 500 profits. That's probably the biggest negative on lower oil. But then you also get into situations where countries have borrowed money, and one of the ways they pay back money is, like, through their economy. And a lot of economies are based in pulling oil and coal and natural gas out of the ground or commodities. And the whole commodity complex, not just oil, has basically been a disaster. So that's one of the reasons why we don't just look at it and say, whoa, the consumer is a big winner because they are paying less for gas and less for paying heating on their their homes during the winter. Um, If it were only that easy, it's not. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investment, and uh, more. Anything you have questions on, whether it be your 401k, your 403b, how to get to retirement, how much money do you need? Um, Is a diamond ring a good investment? Nope. Um, should you buy a cubic zirconium and said, yes. So should you overspend on holidays? Nope. So I overspend on holidays. So I, I feel like I'm being the ultimate, uh, guy talking out of the side of my mouth. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Anything that you want to talk about, we could talk about. Money, Janet Yellen, Wall Street, anything. Um <clears throat> Helps if you call the show, because I can talk retirement. I can talk taxes. Well, taxes aren't good to talk, because all of our personal situations are ever so slightly different, and that's how taxes get kind of figured out. But we can try to talk it. Investing, credit, debt, saving, spending, home, real estate, cars, college, insurance, uh, anything. You've seen opportunities to buy into the market. Most of the times when there is an opportunity, people get kind of spooked and like, well, I'm going to wait. People feel more comfortable behaviorally buying high than buying low, which is kind of insane. Um, 
And when it comes to selling stocks and selling ETFs and, and indexes, people have issues. People use a lot of faulty math. Um, under normal circumstances, you know, I get it. But when it comes to this is your nest egg, you have to, like, rise to the occasion. You should not invest like a drunk choosing a tattoo. And like that drunk, you're going to regret that decision for a lifetime if you do. A lot of stocks people own, they don't know why they own it. You know, um, sometimes people own, like, Chinese Internet companies, and they've never been to China, and they don't know who the customers are. They don't know what the currencies are. They don't know the cost. They they just go, it's Chinese Internet Company. You know, the other Chinese company went up a lot. Um, stocks will cause you angst. Stocks will cause you anxiety. Stocks will get into your head. You have to have a sound reason or five for buying a stock and a sound reason or five for selling a stock. Typically, they're the same thing. One's positive, one's negative. So you may like the management. Now, what happens if the management steps down or retires? That may be your flag to, like, this is one of the reasons I would sell. I want you to have more than one reason to buy a company. You know, if you buy that Chinese Internet company, I'm buying it because it's Chinese Internet. Um, so I want you to have, like, revenue that you like or earnings or return on equity, return on investing, margins. You know, is a company earning more money because they're improving their margins? Is a company earning more money because their 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 revenue's growing? Is a company earning more money because they're using cash to buy back their shares? How much cash do they have while they continue to be able to buy back their shares? When does that buy back shares? When do we see maybe that money should have been put into capital equipment for the company? Um, so as to get better margins or to get, you know, better return on investment or equity. So there's a lot of issues out there, I'll say the least, to say the least. Um, and I really want you to start thinking about why you own stocks and why you buy them and why you want to sell them. So, and if you can't come up with the really good ideas, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Um, and if you can't write them down, then you, you're probably just going off instinct. That's another behavioral mistake that people make. They go, oh, I would have bought that. If I had money back then, I would have bought that. So you look at Facebook that opened as an IPO at 40, then it goes to um, 18, 19. Um, I bought some in the in the mid-20s, high-20s. So I was comfortable with that. It, but a lot of people go, I I knew it was I should have bought it at 18. And it's just now, you know that now when you're way far away from it, but in the time, you didn't. So, and you didn't do it. So I think that's kind of important that you acknowledge that. A couple of things that I want you to, you know, continue to think about is that there's going to be different phases of your life. I think in your 20s, we should just call that learning about money, making some mistakes. Um, maybe starting saving for retirement. You don't have to hit a home run in your 20s. I wish you would. I wish you would max out 15% of your income, but you probably won't. So your 30s, I think that's the time where you should be marrying correctly and, you know, ramping up your savings and stop making mistakes. Uh, in your 40s, you need to start thinking, okay, I'm halfway done with my working career. I did my 20s and my 30s. Now I got my 40s and my 50s, and that's it. Uh, 
So if you're behind, you need to start catching up as aggressively as possible. And that may mean canceling vacations. It may mean eating in instead of eating out once a week. Maybe it's eating out once a month. You could do it, but it's up to you to do it. You need 10 to 20 times your salary before you retire. So you should start figuring this stuff out. So I don't think that there's going to be a lot of money hanging around in retirement. And I think it's going to get more competitive. So we've seen the millennials have a tough time with the job market in large part because the baby boomers stayed in the job market. And they didn't necessarily quit when they were supposed to at 60. Um, Some people don't want to quit. So again, you're supposed to work from age 20 to 60 in the world of the financial planning, you know, fantasy in my head. But some people work longer. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. So selling stocks is something that's pretty practical. Buying stocks is something that's pretty practical. You have to be pretty practical. When it comes to investing in, pres- in uh, you know, my, my politics, I'm practical. I go for the person who I think is going to help the people of that country um, in the most level. I don't go sentimental. Republican or sentimental Democrat, I'm, do I want the best for everyone? Yeah. But I think there are some presidents who obviously want some initiatives that are more costly than others. And this whole idea of let's pick on the 1%, there's not enough money in the 1% to solve our problems. We've got trillion-dollar deficits. We have major problems in the United States. So our debt is getting larger and larger and larger. So thinking that we're going to spend our way into solving social solutions is nothing but silly. So just throwing that out there. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Uh, One of the things we're learning this year is that OPEC is really determined not to cut production. They're waiting for the rest of the world to cut production. Um, Oil for companies and countries, keep in mind, for instance, oil for a company like Slumber's A is a different business than, say, for Saudi Arabia. So Slumber's A is working off the profits model and cash flow model to service their debts, whereas a country like Saudi Arabia is working on, this is our GDP. This is how we pay our people. This is how we advance social policies. OPEC's not going to cut or they're playing a really good game of poker. Back in the 80s and early 90s, it was pretty well known someone in OPEC was going to cheat. They didn't have a lot of resolve on production. Um, so you know, they would want to stiffen the price of oil, stiffen the price of oil, and they would do everything that they could. And then one country's like, open the flows. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblack.com or robblackshow.com, robblackshow.com. Email me, Rob, at robbackshow.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. 
I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. One of the things, not one of the things, you know, I talk a lot of crazy stuff. And it all comes back down to money to me. In, you know, the earlier part of the century, women got married in large part so they didn't end up, you know, a spinster or an old maid. Uh, critically important to find a husband. Now, not so much. Um, but it's a tough time to date right now. So there was a Vanity Fair story that I recently read that claimed apps are responsible for growing hookup culture where anonymous sex has replaced traditional romance because they give straight young men the impression that there's a surplus of available women. And that psychology is going to have ramifications on our society because getting married has been a financially good thing for a lot of people. You ultimately you know, own one home, but you have two incomes, or you cook, you know, one dinner for two or three or four people, and it becomes a lot more efficient. The Vanity Fair article quotes a psychologist who says that apps like Tinder contribute to a perceived surplus of women among straight men, which promotes more hookups and fewer traditional relationships. However, the surplus of women is not just perceived, but very, very real. So there's a book called Datanomics, how dating became a lopsided numbers game. And I love anything statistically driven. And here's an, an argument. About 34% more women than men graduated from American colleges in 2012. And the Department of Education predicts the number is going to reach 47% by 2023. Amongst college-educated adults in the United States, age 22 to 29, there's about 5.5 million women and about 4.1 million men. In other words, the dating pool for straight millennial college graduates has four women to every three men. That makes it difficult, which I'm just throwing it out there. Um, you know, what would the solution be? Women seeking love in Manhattan leave New York. Women seeking love in San Francisco leave San Francisco. They're the worst dating markets in the country for educated women. And I have a friend who... Uh, is one of those women and she can't seem to find the right guy in the Bay Area and you know I told her go to Denver Denver's nickname uh, is Menver there's so many men there you know go to another area like a Santa Barbara uh, so just throwing it out there the area that you're in may not be working for you for a reason let's bring in CFP Chad Burton talk a little financial planning Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton, host of Focus on Wealth, heard daily from noon to one on this very station. Mr. Burton, you are a CFP. One of the things you do are financial plans, and when you retire, you should have a financial plan worked up. Um, one of the things I think that confuses people is how much stocks versus bonds should I have? Because there's old rules of thumb, and there's new rules of thumb, but there's also dynamic situations where you know people can throw that scenario still out the window. Yeah, you know the sixty forty stock to bond and pull out three to four percent per year. Mm, if you've got too much money or too little money, like that may not be right for you. No, and like I've said before, what you do is you have you know three years worth of portfolio draws in cash, and you have your allocation that you, you take your dividends and interest from that, and then you pull off growth to replenish what you've spent, and that over time will equal typically a four to five percent draw rate. Same time, if you're super wealthy. You could have three to five years' worth of expenses in cash and everything in stocks if you can handle the volatility as long as you don't sell when there's a big decline. So it's it's different for everybody. Um, the typical 
allocation that I see for most retired people that, you know, take a risk tolerance in-depth questionnaire and then they have enough assets to actually retire. Three years worth of expenses in cash and the rest in typically a 55-45 stock bond split okay. or 65-35. Um, if you're doing much less than 50% or so in stocks, you better hope you have a lot of money because your fixed income isn't going to be earning a lot in the next five years. Now, with you know, we go through interest rate periods that are low, interest rate periods that are higher, more normalized. Does the strategy change? Well, I mean, here's the deal: we we think about the stock market and everything is returning to the mean, right? And I don't know. In, in theory, the way the stock market has, I mean, it's averaged 11 percent for the last hundred plus years. Um, but the longer you deal with a low period of interest rate environment, you know, the mean actually ends up coming down after. After a while, so you know, an average fixed income portfolio would have earned five to six percent if you had to run those numbers prior to the year two thousand six. Do you um, ever get worried that you know you said we always return to the norm, but you hear economists, you hear market strategists say, you know, we're going to be in prolonged low interest rates for a long. It's going to be the new norm. Like we're going to have to continue to do quantitative easing three as every time we four, five, six, whatever it is. Right. Um, that we're going to always going to have to come back to these policies because when you start raising rates, people won't be normalized. They won't find them normal. They'll find them super high. Yeah, I mean that's the issue: is that the are these economies going to get addicted to quantitative easing? If you look at the stock market chart, every time some sort of level of quantitative easing was announced, yeah, big, uh, big, big jump in the stock market. Every time that quantitative easing period ended, there was a decline. There was a correction of usually around seven to eight percent. Then another announcement of a continuation, and then another uptick in the market. That- so, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a real issue that we have to be concerned about. And the good thing about low interest rates is that it helps the stock market. That's fair if you're in the stock market. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm, if you have an underallocation to stocks, you're hurting. Right. I'm with you. Um, as far as having enough stocks versus bonds, um, do you tend to skew for your clients more towards value? Or is it? It depends on scenario. Yeah, I mean, like I've said before, I like dividend growth model of companies that have a his- history of raising their dividend year over year. Um, but we also look at things like growth and revenue. So I'm not looking for high yield stocks. If a stock has one percent yield, but a history of raising their dividend, yeah, um, and it looks like you know strong free cash flow and everything else, it's gonna it can make the portfolio. So it's not about yield. I think investing for yield. Yeah. For the high dividend will make your stock portfolio way too sensitive to interest rate re- movements. I like growth and income. I like the combination of the two. Are you just using a Bloomberg terminal to screen for histories of dividend increases? And- yeah, yeah, we can we can create a screening list that looks at uh, you know companies with yields over one percent. Over so we don't like to trade small cap stocks. We let the funds uh-huh. do that if we're going to get small cap exposure. Um, so we have. You know, quite a few factors that go into the screen. It narrows the stock universe down to about 250 companies that make that screen. And then we try to diversify among the different sectors. Okay. Anything else we need to know about this topic? Or is that about it? No, I, do, I think that people just need to be aware of, of the volatility that's going to be in their portfolio if they're taking more risk and they're using stocks for the yield. And rather than panic and feel like you have to sell when there's a 10, 15, 20% correction, you need to take a breath and relax and say, is this company still increasing their dividends? If they are, don't sell. Um, unless there's something fundamentally that's going to affect their free cash flow, kick back and say, okay, I'm going to get paid to wait. 
Last thought, would you prefer that people be in ETFs that have dividends or would you prefer individual stocks that have dividends? Most people should just be in ETFs. I mean, you're, you're seriously, you're paying, you know, six-tenths of 1% in many cases to have a very diversified approach to to these stocks. And when I got into the business, most mutual funds were charging over 1%. Yep. And so it's almost free to invest these days. CFP Chad Burton, you can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. So I really, really believe in the future of people. It's on your shoulders. So I'm trying to help people. Swiss Bank UBS polled 1,100 millennials and Generation X investors in December. It's part of its typical annual investor watch report. Inside this report, they defined millennials as anyone between the age of 21 and 37. Those in the survey aged between 21 and 29 had at least $75,000 in household income or $50,000 in investable assets. Um, so they, they kind of got a pretty good set of people, good set of income, good set of assets. Uh, young, 21 to 37, um, they threw in some Generation Xers as well. So th- th- what they found was that millennials had the most regret about the financial crisis. Millennials were also much more likely to say they trusted their gut and that investing is all about market timing and not holding a big chunk of their portfolio in cash. In short, they regret selling when they did and not buying when they could have. They also failed to learn the same lessons as other generations from the crisis, which is buy and hold. Millennials are the least likely to stick to an investment plan, and while they're most likely to say that they'll take on risk, they actually take on the least. Um, You should get into index funds. You should like them in good times, bad times, because you have time on your side, a lot of time. The buy and hold approach is less popular with millennials, and they're more about market timing. Market timing doesn't work. Um, millennials hold twice as much cash as other generations, despite the fact, given that their age, they can afford that risk with time on their side. The market goes up seven out of 10 years. Yes, it won't go up each and every year. So, but it goes up seven out of 10 years. And that's really what you should be focusing on. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. You can drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. The sooner you start saving, the sooner you're going to make some mistakes, the sooner you're going to learn. You know, was there a point in my life when I was under 25 where I wanted to be a day trader? Yes. Was there a point in my life where I wanted to hit the home run each and every investment? Absolutely. Was there a point in time where I got nervous in down markets and greedy in up markets? Yes. Through time and experience, I've lost all that. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Let's get you to retirement. Find me online at robblackshow.com. That's Twitter, Rob Black Show. It's YouTube, Rob Black Show.
1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. I'm Rob Black. <clears throat> hello, hello, hello. Talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Drop me an email, Rob, at robblackshow.com if you have questions. I always get a thrill out of anyone under 35 asking financial questions. It's not because I'm a lecherous older guy, because I'm not. It's because I think they have the most opportunity to fix things for themselves. Um, I'll say a lot of odd things, and I know that. You know, I know, like, I, I love Starbucks as a long-term investment. For now, until I start seeing Starbucks closing down or until I start seeing Starbucks empty, I love Starbucks. Because they're the purveyor of expensive goods. You don't go into a Starbucks and you know, buy one item for $5 or less. Uh, two items, $10 or less. It's, it's pricey. And they're a very smart company. So around Halloween, they've got Halloween themes. Around Thanksgiving, they've got Thanksgiving themes, Christmas themes. And even around Valentine's Day, they're all about the chocolate. So adding hefty doses of chocolate chips and chocolate drinks, chocolate frappuccinos, molten hot chocolate, because I guess chocolate equals love. I like Starbucks as a long-term patient investor. So when there's a market correction, Starbucks should be on your list of ideas. Disney should be on your list of ideas. Um, Nike should be on your list of ideas. And a great company is not going to correct... 20%, and if they do, you take it. 30%, you're blessed. 40%, and you could probably walk on water. So, in the January slash, in the, in, in the swoon that started the year, you know, if you take a look at a company like a Starbucks, they went from mid-60s, like 62 down to $55. That's not a lot. Like I said, great companies aren't going to give you that 20%. You're lucky to get 10. Nike went from $68 down to $55. That's a pretty that's as, as about as good as you're going to get. And if you get more, like I said you're blessed. If you get even more than that, you can walk on water. And am I saying that there's no risk? No. I'm saying that you should have a list of stocks that you believe in, that you want to accumulate when things get kind of rough. And I'm not going to start singing like a bridge under troubled waters. Uh, but I could. And there's going to be another correction, and another correction, and another correction. And when you go through them, they hurt like hell. Psychologically, they rough you up. When you see companies like Disney go from a 52-week high of 122 down to a 52-week low of... 86, I guess I'm not, I don't want to call it a 52-week low, but um, you're like, that's 30 points. Like, Is it going to zero? No, it's not going to zero. Uh, is ESPN a drag on Disney? Yes. Uh, but ESPN also, Disney owns ESPN, Disney owns ABC, Disney owns Pixar, they own Marvel, they own theme parks. And there's always going to be something that you could look at inside the big Disney house the mouse built that you go, I don't like it. And right now it's ESPN, and I agree with that analysis. ESPN has become too expensive for the cable companies to pass on to you because we've started looking at our cable bills, and I, I don't freak out, but pretty close. 
And once a year, I call the cable companies, and I'm like, you know, I've been a customer of yours for 15 years. I'm ready to go. Um, cut off all my payment. Cut it all off. I'm like, how about if I how about if I find you a deal, Mr. Black? You've been a valued customer. I see that you're a premium customer. I'm like, okay, okay. What can you offer me? I'll listen. But I'm going to cut it. Um, let's see. So ESPN is a bit of a problem, and I was listening to Bob Iger yesterday talk about ESPN, and he was pretty interesting. Uh, you know, HBO and Time Warner, Time Warner owns HBO, and there's the cable cutting, right? And Time Warner comes up with the whole HBO concept of HBO Go, where you don't actually have to have cable, but you pay us 15 bucks, and we'll let you watch it on a, on the on an app on your phone or your television or where have you, and that appeals to people who don't want to pay 150 bucks. Now, as HBO starts to roll out these numbers, you know, what we're learning and what we're not learning is, you know, 15 bucks a month, you know, is it a lot of money or not? Time Warner, you know, is now starting to announce HBO now subscribers for the first time. Um, and the very first one was pegged at 800,000 to a million. And they came in right around 800,000 on their first time ever reporting it. So it wasn't as hot as you would expect. For instance, you know, at the same time, Netflix has 75 million subscribers. Hulu's got 9 million subscribers. So HBO is trying to be what's considered ecosystem agnostic. And down the road, that's going to be the same for ESPN. Or at least they have that business model to copy. That means that HBO will live uh, ecosystem agnostic. Basically means that, you know, these stations or these networks can live wherever you are. Your computer, your phone, your tablet, your smart TV, your Apple TV, your Roku, uh, where have you. The thesis is that HBO's brand is being weighed down by bloated cable packages. This is why its hit show Game of Thrones has been the most pirated show in the world for four straight years. I think I have HBO, HBO East Coast, HBO West Coast, HBO High Definition. I've got HBO Active, HBO Family. Um, there may as well be HBO Animals. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'll never watch it because I'm not into the animal type of shows. But they'll say, well, you get six HBOs for 15 bucks a month. That's pretty good, Mr. Black, don't you think? And you only want one. But they'll throw five or six at you. Same thing with ESPN. Anyway, we'll talk about anything in the future. Stocks to buy in down markets for sure. Drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. Find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show. Find me on YouTube, Rob Black Show. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.